0: Welcome to a provocative Wednesday conversation on Chris Fabry Live. I'm looking forward to what is about to transpire because I have observed it in the culture, there's an awful lot of division and rancor and fighting. You see it just about everywhere. But that phenomenon is not just in the culture, it's also in the church. In fact, it can be worse in the church because you expect people who have the same faith and the same Lord to want to get along with each other. So why the conflict? One of the recurring themes of this program over the last 15 years has been the power of living loved. I've talked about it with guests and callers. I've thought about about writing about it. And now I don't have to because our guest today has pinpointed not only the effects of that kind of living, living loved, but also the how of it. There's a new book titled Dearly Beloved Now, you might think it's a book about marriage, and in a sense, it is the marriage of Jesus to his bride, the church. With all the disunity, the rancor, the backbiting, the inner turmoil that we have in the church, what's the antidote? Don't miss the conversation straight ahead at the Radio Backyard Fence. First, a thank you to our teammates, Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Gabby T will be in the chair today. Lisa will be answering your calls. And a thank you to those who've supported us in February. We are listener-supported, if you didn't know that. That means your encouraging call or click today is going to help us get closer to our monthly goal here at The Back Fence. Would you reach out and give a gift today? It's uh, the last day of February, usually. Today's the last day. But we get an extra day tomorrow. So uh, call, give a LEAP gift today at 866 953 2279, or go to chrisfabrylive.org. You can give right there. Our thank you this month for a day and a half is Ron Hutchcraft's book, A Life That Matters, making the greatest possible difference with the rest of your life. And the impetus here is for you to be the ambassador of Jesus for that person in your life or the people who don't know him, who don't have a relationship with him yet, this is so encouraging. It's motivating, it's challenging, yes. But it's so encouraging. This is maybe the difference between you and that life that matters, you know, the the great difference that you want to make, the stirring that you felt there must be something more. Read this book. Love to send it to you. Go to chrisfabrylive.org or call 866-95-fabry and thanks for your support at the back fence. Vermont Pierre is the lead pastor at Roosevelt Community Church, a diverse multi-ethnic congregation in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. He's the author of Gospel-Shaped Living and a contributor to several books, the New City Catechism Devotional, 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me, and Revisiting Faithful Presence, Changed the World Five Years Later. He and his wife, Danae, live in downtown Phoenix. They have five children. I think your youngest, Vermone, is only two now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, two and a half. That's correct. Yeah,
0: two and a half. So that's that must make it fun. Evenings are fun in the Pierre household, right?
1: <laughs> They're very active, that's for sure. <laughs> she uh, gets a lot of attention, and uh, we're happy to give it to her.
0: Yes. Well, welcome to the program. I'm excited about this book because as I was going through it, I thought – You have put your finger on the thing that I hear just coming up time and time again, that if you live loved, then your life is going to be lived in the overflow. It'll overflow to other people. But if you don't live loved, meaning if you live by performance, I got to do this for God to love me transactionally, then that's going to leak over to other people too. Talk about that.
1: I think the the real premise of the book is understanding what it is to be loved by God, but specifically, what it is to be loved by God is uh, God. The metaphor that the Bible uses God loving us as a husband loves his bride, and you know, as really the, the genesis of the book was me thinking through what brings people together, what keeps them together. That's something I've always cared about, and especially uh, for congregations like my congregation, that's full of a lot of different types of people, different backgrounds, different cultural experiences. Uh, I'm not saying anything uh, anyone doesn't isn't already aware of. We are in a time of polarization, division, conflict. Uh, it's harder than ever to bring people together and to keep them together. And so really, the key of course, is we want people to love one another, love one another in the best ways possible. It struck me that one of the strongest ways of thinking about love is how God loves us as the husband loves his bride. I mean, of course he loves us as a shepherd, he loves us as a father, and those are all ways in which we can experience the love of God, but uh, I don't think there's enough done to think about that particular expression of love. And especially, I think some of the most vital, strong, certainly intimate ways in which we experience love is in that context of a, of a marriage, of a really good marriage. So I think it's very striking and intentional that God sort of wants us to think of that when you think of how we relate to Him and, and how He relates to us. And so, as you said, the more we understand that love has now been poured into our souls, like it says in Romans 5.5, 5. it's the well which we, from, we can draw from to love others around us.
0: And I agree with everything you just said and everything you've written in the book about this from a head knowledge position. You know, our position in Christ and that we don't have anything to offer to Him. He loved us before, while we were sinners, He died for us. You know, I get that in my head. But where I always go with this is all right well so what do I do you know tell me tell me 10 things to do in order to love my my fellow neighbor and that gets us into the it's not that doing is bad it's not that you know that 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 is a bad thing but it tends at least for me to be what i base my love on the you know have i checked all the boxes and that does not get you closer to people does it
1: No it doesn't and I think it almost situates you to, to say, okay, how do I love these people generating it within yourself? And really, on our own, our, our love for others uh, can start off well, but it, it, it almost very easily warps itself. We, we become more self-righteous, or we can become hypocritical, uh, we become nitpicky about certain things. Well, I'll love you, or become transactional. I'll love you as long as you do these things in returns. I pay attention to you, you better pay attention to me back. And so the degree in which we think we've got to generate it from ourselves, I think it um, it becomes much harder to do. Uh, that's why I do it in some ways. It's really just saying, hey, when we consider how the Lord has loved us, I've said this, to people, it's almost simple geography. Like the Lord has loved us and drawn us to himself. And so I want to tie love of others to your own relationship with Jesus. I want to say, if you really love Jesus and you care about Jesus, and if you're a Christian, I, I think you do. Um, and you want to invest even more in the Lord simple geography says there's others right there with you um, as <laughs> you realize there's others who want the same thing. They've also been drawn to the Lord by that same love that you have for the Lord. And the Lord is, is almost, it's almost connective tissue. <laughs> He's brought us into the same place and says we can draw from that same love and how, as how, we, and how we look at other, other people. Yes. So it becomes less, how do I think of this other person? How do I see this other person? I want to ask myself, how does the Lord see this person? How does the Lord think of this person? And that opens up new categories of thinking about people and look at people. And maybe in some ways it's easier to lean in you say, okay, I don't want to lean in, but the Lord wants me to lean in. And it's the Lord who's in me now by the spirit and that allows me to sort of lean into people. And I would suggest um, through many, you know, what often is called the common means of grace, as we have experiences together uh, the Lord uh, through shared worship and other things like this, uh, the word will begin to open up the eyes of our heart, so to speak, and to begin to see things and to, to lean into people in ways And I think in especially vibrant ways, as we think of that metaphor of uh, the marriage metaphor, to think of uh, this idea of intimate love in the life of the church, of affection and delighting in others, uh, it allows us, I think, to to have new vistas by which we might interact with others.
0: That makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, And and as I was going through your book— I, I, I try sometimes to just write things out the way that I interpret them and, and to see, is this what he's saying? Am I agreeing or am I making this up myself? So I'm <laughs> going to give you that, um, that phrase that, or that sentence that I wrote out and see if you agree with that when we come back. And I also, there's a, a real provocative part of your book um, where you talk about being this multicultural church led by a minority pastor in the inner city and and all of the diversity that you have and how that became a drawback in a way. And I want you to describe that to us today at the Radio Backyard Fence. Vermon Pierre is with us. If you go to the website, you'll see our featured resource, Dearly Beloved. It's a new book, that's written by Pastor Pierre. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information. You'll see it right there, chrisfabrylive.org. Pastor Vermont Pierre is with us today. If a You haven't read the book, you don't know, he's a New York Jets fan, so you're going to see that in the book, and we'll probably talk about it here a little bit as well. Uh, His book is Dearly Beloved, How God's Love for His Church Deepens Our Love for Each Other. And I want you to listen to this conversation with somebody in mind, maybe somebody from your church that you're having a conflict with, that you're having a struggle with, and you don't know what that, what loving that person looks like, um, Pastor Pierre. That uh, happened to you. I'm going to give you this uh, phrase. I still bit, I wrote it down. I can't find it now. I'm going to find that. But this happened to you in your um, in your pastorate because there was a situation that came up between you and a leader in the church. And you, you know, there's this, he was critical of you, and you knew that you had to work this out, but it was a struggle and it took multiple conversations. Tell me about that and how that uh, exhibits, beloved.
1: You know, when you have conflict with people, uh, there's all sorts of things that can potentially happen. Um, certainly for me, uh, my instinct is to, begin to sort of argue against that person in my brain, I sort of immediately sort of take a posture of, well, I'm right and and they're wrong. Uh, I can become defensive. uh, And especially if I think what's being said is unfair And in this particular situation, it was uh, a disagreement about uh, really sort of some of the ways in which I was leading. Uh, I felt he wasn't really understanding where I was coming from on some things or misunderstood some things. I felt he was sort of insistent on his perspective. And it really did feel like an impasse. And in many other settings, you know, certainly, I'm the lead pastor. I could have easily dismissed him and said, hey, "Well, I don't, I don't really need you anymore," and moved on. Uh, but I think, really, I can't do that from a Christian. I need a different religion if I want to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Christianity speaks to really always creating space for us to honestly deal with issues, to to confront things. So this isn't so much to say that, hey. I should just take his side, or he should take my side. But it sort of creates this sort of opportunity for us to say, um, well, there's really a powerful word to use here, uh, to show grace towards one another. And I just love the doctrine of grace, uh, because behind it is the sense of, I'm going to show favor towards this person. And it's not, it doesn't have to be hey, they need to earn it, or they need to pay it back. And I think grace allows us then to, grace is one of the ways in which I think we resolve conflict. We're willing to create space to deal with issues, and to deal with an issue might take a while. Uh, and there's gonna be a mixture of forgiveness, of confession, a number of different things that might need to happen. But leaning into grace and assuming grace in our conversations as we lean in towards other people, uh, it allows us to bring way more healing than we might imagine.
0: How important in that process then is listening?
1: Oh, listening is is immensely vital. <laughs> and. You know, there's, I mean, in many ways, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole other chapter I could put in on, on, on listening. I think listening is a posture that allows us to say what's most important is I understand what this other person is saying uh, to the point that I can communicate it back to that other person. It has a posture, and I think, again, I think this does come from grace. It's a posture that says this person is valuable enough and important enough that I'm willing to listen and receive what's being said. Uh, before I position what I'm going to say against this other person, it's showing a sense of value to that person, a significance to that person, and uh, I think marriage counselors can say this, and this is true just in general. Uh, when you listen, the person who's being listened to and recognizes the person has honestly listened to them and received what's been said, it does a whole lot then for a conversation. It almost, uh, and when someone's been listened to, they're more willing to listen to you, and I think that's that's sort of the the groundwork by which then. Many, Almost all conflict can be resolved. Uh, I think a lot of conflict comes from misunderstanding and a refusal to resolve that misunderstanding. Listening is that first vital step that allows us to actually hear each other and then to know what ground by which we need to interact.
0: Yes. And listening, actively listening and being able to If you had to restate what the person just said, you're not listening for an inroad for your next argument or for the defensive thing. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you said this, you know, you're really trying to hear. And to me, that is one of the things over the last few years, because we've we've talked about racial reconciliation for decades now. And a lot of people say, well, we're no closer than we were back when we started talking about, you know, having having big meetings and everything. And I don't know that that's true either. It just, it looks a little different than I thought it would look. And I think part of that is we haven't really listened well to each other over the the last few decades. And maybe now we're starting to not only listen, but to hear each other and to hear some of the hurt that people have gone through. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think um, an issue like that is, is one that, I mean, it goes, goes all the way back. I mean, we, uh, you can see it in the pages of the Bible. We have a, it's almost like a weed. We have a natural tendency to show preference for some over others. And, and so I always say issues related to race, we shouldn't be surprised by They're like the weeds in the garden. Um, and so we should always be aware of them. But by God's grace, we can always pull them. And part of how we do that is by how we listen, by being curious by the other person. Uh, imagine um, like two towns, right, that are surrounded by walls and a moat and there's a row between them. And I think racial reconciliation involves a willingness to open the gates of your town, go over to the other side where you're vulnerable and and be there and actually see what's going on there and understand what's going on there from their perspective, as opposed to sort of demanding they come to your side. And I think that does a lot. and and I think a lot has happened by God's grace. There's miraculous things that have happened in this country, in this area. Um, when you think of the, most of our nation's history has had racial oppression and injustice to see the strides that have been made. Um, is incredible. I think it's the evidence of the Lord's grace that uh, we see where we are today. The same token, we shouldn't be surprised that there's still work to be done um, because sin is sin. And the same tools that have always been available to us are available to us now. Uh, An ability to show grace and to, to listen to one another, as you said.
0: I think what you just pointed out is, you mentioned it a little earlier, this is what tripped the disciples up a lot, because they thought, you know, they had Jesus figured out, they thought he was going to do what they thought the Messiah was going to do. And then all of a sudden, they, they walk up, and he's talking with a woman, you know, and you don't do that in that culture, and he's talking with a Samaritan woman. You don't you don't tear down those walls. I mean, don't talk with those people. And Jesus was constantly tearing down those walls that were to the other people outside the Jewish folks to, to say, you know, there's something bigger that's going on here, and we need to learn from that as well, don't you think?
1: Amen. I mean, there's, I mean, there's nothing like the Christian faith. If you really think about it, that um, you look at other religions and philosophies of the world, uh, in many respects, they demand that you adjust to them. That uh, you know, if you want to be a Muslim, you really have to, well, um, you have to know Arabic. Uh, it's very much based in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of Eastern religions involve you essentially becoming Eastern. Um, Christianity sort of says, "Come as you are. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are." It's a community of every tribe, language and nation. Uh, it's a faith that began in the, the Palestine area and then moved into North Africa and Turkey, then moved into Europe then moved into America. And now uh, the center of Christianity arguably is in Latin America and Africa and Asia. Uh, and how is that possible? It's because this is a faith that calls all of us together. It's sort of embedded in it. It's in the DNA and in many respects, when that's not happening, that's, that's, that's not the fault of our faith, it's the fault of us to not really, I think, access the, the parts of our faith that are always been there. Uh, the call to all people to come to Jesus, the call that's grounded in his love, his love for a people of every tribe, language, and nation that's now in us. And that uh, degree in which we sort of recognize what's already within us, and allows us then to, to listen to each other, as we've been saying, to love one another, to have relationships that join us together, and what God says will keep us together forever
0: but there is polarization and and you've even dealt with this in your church you said recently there are folks who have left because you know for one thing one reason or another it could be political it could be something else and you write people increasingly find their own sense of self from how they are unlike others and from their public opposition to those groups that are not part of that particular identity group, talk about that polarization that we see not just in the culture but in the church too.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of the more striking things that I've experienced. Um, people, I think most people generally like diversity in a sense of you know, like seeing a lot of different types of people. If you have any basic curiosity, but um, a lot of that diversity, I would argue, can end up being superficial. It's at the level of hey, we're, I'm going to go to this movie theater and there's lots of different types of people here, we enjoy it, and then we leave. Church is about not superficial relationships, not uh, just coming to one place and then leaving and not knowing anyone. It's about engaging each other at a deep level. And what struck me was that um, people didn't necessarily want that, um, because to gauge at that level does require uh, a level of engagement with people that, that means that, yeah, you will hear Differences—you'll hear things that might strike you differently. You, different habits, uh, different uh, ways of leaning in on particular issues, and and if there's anything today we are way more aware of different cultural and political issues than we have in the past, and we're way, way more aware of how where people stand potentially on these issues, and we've also been taught to make huge assumptions about how people posture themselves on those issues. So all that adds up to many people and experiences essentially saying, you know, it's just easier to be in an environment where I know everyone is like me, and uh, what we've seen in polarization today is, it's not just, okay, everyone around me is like me. It's also, and we all agree that we don't like those other people. Um, <laughs> and hate is a very, is a powerful emotion. Um, it's, very, it's, a, it's a more immediate emotion. And so it's not surprising that people gravitate towards it. Love is a deeper emotion. It's harder to get to, but it's is actually better for us. <laughs> it's the emotion that will, will last forever. And so I think really what I want to suggest is, yes, it more be more immediately satisfying to say, hey... I like being with these people because we can talk about how much we don't like the other people, uh, but it does something to you. It's like a cancer on your soul, right? Yes. Um, anytime people posture themselves that way, you it's you see their faith become more angry, more vehement. Um, all the things are not, not out of Jesus. Um, it takes well. It takes letting the gospel seek deeper into us to say, you know what? I'm going to push away this more immediate emotion and dig into the much deeper one. Might say the pearl that's in the ground, the love of Christ, the gospel, uh, and. That's harder to get to. You got to dig down into the earth to get it. But it's also, it sustains you more. Um, it draws you more towards the Lord and towards other people. Yes.
0: Well, and and I go to social media. You know, you can see something. Did you see what he posted on social or she posted on this on social media? And this <laughs> meme that or, well, the you know, well, I can figure out everything. I it's and and uh, food. You know, look at the, what they're eating. Well, this person must be one of those who just eats this. You know, that kind of thing. And so you pigeonhole people. You judge other people, and you keep. Your distance then from them, and isn't that part of the biggest hindrance to unity and to love in the church? And that is, it's simply a place we show up once a week and leave and really don't see each other that much for the rest of the week. We don't have those opportunities, you know, unless you go to a small group, you don't have those opportunities to interact and get to know each other and to really listen to each other.
1: Yeah, I think we have to be. That's more, more, more diligent to create space for really face-to-face at the same time on a regular basis in the same space, same space interactions. Um, you know, online uh, social media is, is terrible for Christian community, and we sort of let that lead our relationships. Uh, now, they they have their point, they have their purpose, but I rather see them as um, handmaidens, you might say, to our in-person regular basis, face-to-face interactions with people. And I think we should always sort of see it as that way, that they are lesser forms of communication that can that are there and helpful to only the degree in which they enhance our actual real-life relationships. And it's harder than ever before, uh, for sure. And I think then we, we should state it as such and reject it as much as we can. Um, it does mean then we might have to be way more intentional about forming interactions, relationships with people. That Sunday mornings is, is a great, opportunity but it's only the beginning uh, and this is where technology can be used in, in a good way where we can make phone calls and text messages Where we're intentional to show up at someone's graduation or someone's athletic achievement or any number of other things that allow us to sort of build these bonds of love uh, and create these sort of shared experiences that the lord will i think almost naturally bless to the degree in which we sort of lean into them as opportunities to form uh, these relationships that uh, that draws together as one
0: I think part of the struggle too is and it, you can tell I'm I'm on board with you here Vermont because there're just so many things that are swirling around that have happened in the past and in the present that I'm identifying with but one of them is that we expect there not to be conflict in the church, because if we, you know, we have the same Bible, we have the same Lord, we have the same pastor who's <laughs> and we're singing the same songs, <laughs> we ought to be in agreement and everything. So when we see conflict and we experience that, then it takes us aback as so though this shouldn't be happening. And if we rather think, no, because we're all different, we're, we're in a d- diverse world, and we come from different perspectives and different experiences in our lives, when we experience that conflict with somebody else in the body, then expect that there's going to be that so that then you move forward just like you would in a marriage. There's going to be conflict there because you're two different people. I'll give you an opportunity to respond to that when we come back. There's a really good conversation. I hope you get involved today at 877 548 3675. Pastor Vermont Pierre is with us from Phoenix, Arizona, lead pastor at Roosevelt Community Church. Dearly Beloved is our featured resource today, his book. You can find it at the website, chrisbabriLive.org. There are so many issues that divide us, even in the church. For example, how do you get along with someone in church? How do you love someone in the pew or the seat next to you who thinks abortion is necessary in today's culture? And you disagree. I've been telling you about CareNet. They are urging pro life Christians to engage others in the church who may disagree on this issue. And to do it from a biblical framework, not to argue and divide and to get us versus them, but to really understand each other and to communicate well, like Vermona said today, to really listen, to hear what they're saying, and then to be able to respond. There's a free booklet titled, Is the Pro-Choice Position Consistent with the Life and Teachings of Jesus? You'll find sound biblical arguments to make the case for life— for Christians who may consider themselves to be pro choice. So go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button. And when you get there to CareNet, look at some of the amazing stories of the babies that have been saved and the men and women who have benefited from this pro abundant life ministry. If you click the free resources link when you get to CareNet, the first thing you'll see is that free booklet I just mentioned. So go to chrisfabrylive.org and click CareNet today. Pastor Ramon Pierre is with us. Dearly Beloved is our featured resource at chrisfabrylive.org. Just before we went to the break, I said uh, basically expect, instead of not expect no conflict, expect conflict. Maybe what I mean is be ready for the conflict that will eventually come when you are in a, in a church body, because you're going to have differences of opinion about different things. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's very true. Uh, anyone who's in a relationship with other people will, then, will inevitably have conflict. And I think there's a lot of different ways in which we might deal with conflict. Uh, for us as Christians, uh, one of the ways that we want to deal with conflict is, of course, looking to the Lord. And as we've been saying, so this metaphor of us being married to the Lord is, is, a, is a great one of how the Lord dealt with conflict with us. Uh, you might say there's, there was every reason for the Lord to abandon us, the uh, Bible uses really strong language to talk about how, when God first began relationship with, uh, with a people, uh, with Israel, how Israel basically cheated on God, committed adultery. And you know, the book of Hosea almost goes, goes so far as to say, God has every right to divorce Hosea. Yeah, that's not what the word does. Um, he leans in and instead continues to, to be with his people to the point of you know, coming himself, coming and sending the son Jesus uh, to die in our place such that conflict could be healed, so that forgiveness and reconciliation can happen. And it's the same way that the Lord has loved us, that we can love others. And when we see sort of that, 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 that understanding that the, the, the ways in which, the depth to which the Lord has uh, prov- gave up his life in order to heal the conflict between us, I again, mean, you know, it just creates the space for us to, to see us in our conflict, which is much, many magnitudes smaller than the ways in which we have been in conflict with the Lord. And I think it just gives us, a, I want to say almost a creative imagination to see how we can still stay in relationship with others and to know that, hey, conflict is going to come, but we have the means to navigate any conflict. I think that's that's the power of being in relationship with one another in and through Jesus Christ. It's to know, it's not to sort of bank, to put our relationships in this sort of place where, hey, this, this is going to work, but, you know, there might be one or two things that can split us apart. No, in Christ, I really think... Uh, the gospel provides us the means to deal with any conflict uh, and to, to be able to move through it. That's not to suggest things will be handled immediately. There's some things that that might take months, years to resolve, uh, but uh, the gospel gives us the tools to be, to continue to work on work on those things, no matter how long it takes, until there's forgiveness and the confession and the repentance necessary to heal.
0: Yes, I've always had a problem with a <laughs> with a phrase that I've I, I've probably said it as well. You know, we're going to spend eternity together, might as well learn how to get along down here. And there's there's something about that that's true, but there's something that's always felt a little bit off to me with that as well. And I'm not sure why, maybe it's part of what you're pointing out that there is more involved here than simply getting along with each other. What do you think?
1: Well, it's true. Um, You know, we, I want to suggest that what the Lord does with us isn't – he doesn't just get along with us. He, he delights in us. Um, you know, it speaks of how the Lord sings over us. I think it's in Zechariah or Zephaniah. Um, he exalts over us. He rejoices over us. The Lord's posture towards us isn't simply that, hey, I made these people and now i just got to deal with them. It's I made them and I have delight in them. He looks at us – You're using that metaphor, the way if you've been at weddings and you see the look of the groom when he looks at the bride – looks at his bride coming down the aisle and as she comes up, it's a look of eagerness, of delight, of affection. That's how the Lord looks upon us. Uh, and that's a model and not just a model, a source for us and how we then look at and relate to, to others around us. Uh, and let's be, let's be real. I mean, this, this isn't easy. Um, sometimes this doesn't work. I, if I read another book. It might, might be more on like, Hey, what happens when it doesn't work? What do you do then? And that posture of, of tension, which uh, many have said, it's the already and not yet. And so there's always tension here, and I'm the first to admit that. Um, We want to love, and yet we fail over and over again. Uh, But the word gives us the capacity to fail and to keep going, to fail and to keep going. Uh, With the promise of where we're headed, which means there's a certain direction we're always going towards. Uh, To agree with which we're always following the roadmap of the word's love, there's always a direction that's up, and we can trust and rely on that.
0: I saw that the other day it was probably a social media post and they had montage, you know, of, of weddings, but they focused on the groom turning around. And for the first time, seeing the bride walking up the aisle. And there was one of them in particular where the guy, you know, is a strapping young, young man and, uh, you know, buff and he's in a tux and he's, you know, he's, he's got it all together. And, <laughs> and he turns around, and he just loses it. it. His you just see his chin start to quiver, and then immediately he he covers his mouth with his hand. He's just overcome. He's overwhelmed by the sight of his you know his bride walking down the aisle. And are you really saying that when God looks at us, he? He sees that? Because I don't feel that, you know, I, I, I don't feel that in <laughs> myself because I know how, you know, how rotten I am in the, in, to the core. Uh, but you're saying that God, and, and when he says this about Jesus, this is my beloved son, you know, in whom I'm well pleased, that he is including us in that when we're in Christ.
1: Yeah, I mean, first so John chapter 4, you know, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us. I mean, I think there's great power in that, which is, I think it almost just reinforces what we're saying here. There was ever a reason for God to not love us. Uh, we are, uh, you might say, we are the red file in the filing cabinet of, of people to love, right? And there's other, many other candidates God could have chosen. And yet God sees us and chooses us and says, no, those are those are the people I'm going to love. The, the file that says, you know, don't touch them, stay away from them. That's Those are the eyes of love God looks upon us. And... The Bible goes one step more. It says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, This is Romans chapter eight, of course, and it lists all these different things: death, life, persecution, famine. It just goes over the top and just really wanting to impress upon us that God loves us and is permanently attached to us. (laughs) Um, That's the power, the strength, the vibrancy of God's love, Uh, and uh, I mean, praise God for that. It means that we matter. We're significant that uh, i've said this before i think i say this in the book that you know, when angels are gathered around the campfires of heaven this is the story they tell each other now there's no other story they binge watch <laughs> they ever they binge watch tv on uh, in heaven this is what the angels binge watch they, they're not interested in turning channel from anything else but this the story of god see, seeking finding choosing loving saving his people unto himself and making sure that we'll be with him forever
0: yes that, that'll take your breath away right there. And then that kind of love then given to others around you, and maybe people that you have a hard time with because for whatever reason, which leads me, and, and you'll find so much more in, in the book, the delight that we just talked about, the power of words, intimacy, presence, but at the risk of then rushing to fix everything and fix all the relationships that we have by doing stuff, because I don't believe that's what you're saying, you know, just do this, this, and this. That's where we've gotten, well, at least for me, that's where I've gotten into trouble because when you have a list that you can check off, you're not dealing with people. You're not dealing with relationships. You're dealing with your own self and your expectations and what you can accomplish and then check out and do whatever you want. But you say at one point in the book, dearly beloved, choose to make that phone call to someone, choose to address a past hurt, and take the initiative to work through a process of confession, repentance, and resolution. Choose to invite someone new to the community to a lunch or coffee. Choose to slow down and not rush out after a meeting, but instead take the time to listen to someone share what is going on in their lives— And pray for them. There's another area where you say choose rather than get to your favorite seat. You know, at church, you see somebody new come in, and they've got children with them, and they look like they're lost and they don't know where they're going. It may be their first time. Choose to not go to your seat and sit down, but to go over and say, "Hey, welcome. Uh, What do we look at? How can I help you?" These types of things are ways that we can love other people. So I'm gonna get the list out, not for you to check off, but for you to grow from and to overflow the love of God from his heart to yours to somebody else, if you go to chrisfabrylive.org, you'll see the book Dearly Beloved by Pastor Vermon Pierre. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. Pastor Vermon Pierre is with us from the Phoenix area, and you can find out more about him and his church and our featured resource today, Dearly Beloved. It's at chrisfabrylive.org. He spends a lot of time talking about how we are beloved of God and beloved to one another, and this marriage relationship, this metaphor of marriage, and then He gets into the practical, how we live, beloved, with words and delight and intimacy and presence and commitment and passion and perseverance. We've talked a little bit about the conflict as well. But I just want to get out of your way, Pastor Pierre, and tell us, knowing that that this could become a list. You're not giving us a list of of things to do in order to be okay with God. You're saying these are some practical ways to do what you're, you're talking about. So go ahead, tell me.
1: Yeah, because of how the Lord moves towards us in love, I think it just opens up lots of ways in which we might love. And I think it it almost enhances then the things that we do. And so um, one of the things I talk about is the significance of just being together regularly and prioritizing uh, face-to-face, in-person, the same place type of uh, interactions. And so I think we, we have to put a priority on uh, worship together on Sundays, but not just that, um, putting a priority on shared moments with each other's lives, shared experiences are how you begin to see people and notice people and begin to have space to delight with them. Uh, Shared meals, I think, is especially important, and I think we see that uh, in in scripture. I mean, how Jesus is regularly eating with people, and there's something that's uniquely special when we take time to eat together with others uh, that the Lord promises to bless, that he will bless. Um, Certainly hospitality is another thing, the significance of entering into someone's home and receiving into someone's home. It says something about how you value them and the kind of interaction that can happen in that space. Another thing that that I do mention in the book, um, towards the end of uh, the intimacy chapter, we don't think about, and it's been misused, but I think it's an important thing to reclaim is the importance of touch as a way of expressing love. And touch, sadly, has been misused and abused in the life of church. And so I say that with all the caveats that need to be said. But in safe places, in in good context, the significance of uh, a hand on someone's shoulder (laughs) as you pray for them uh, the significance of someone who you already know, who you have a relationship with, that hug of greeting, um, that opportunity at times to, to pass uh, to pass a meal, uh, to pass a communion cup to someone else. Uh, those type of shared experiences, um, I think they're, they're modern examples of the holy kiss that uh, say something about someone's presence. And particularly, you know, when I put it, for example, a hand on someone's shoulder who comes in who uh, clearly is homeless, uh, perhaps has not been noticed or valued at all that week. And my willingness to engage with them at that level, you um, know, imitates the words love for us, doesn't it? Um, the significance of how Jesus did that so often with us. So, just a couple couple, ideas. Um, I mean, there's many others, of course, some of them we, which you've suggested. Uh, but I think all of them are, are means by which, uh, through what we say, through our presence, uh, through our interactions, uh, when we do so in Christ, it shows the love of Christ to others. Yes.
0: When we moved to Arizona a few years ago, uh, the first church where we attended was a cowboy church. And they had this evening meeting, and I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, and we'd get together. and, and every uh, meeting would be a meal. There'd be and sometimes people would bring stuff and sometimes you'd bring your own, et cetera, et cetera. And me being the you know the Bible study kind of guy it's like this meal takes an awful long time and sometimes we we push the study back and' it's, well why don't we you know Eddie why don't we uh, not eat before we come so we can have more time in the study and he, <laughs> I still remember the look on his face said, Chris you don't get it do you um, and this is not because he was a cowboy you know it's just a, it, there's something about so there's something that happens when you eat together when you have a meal that you can't replace by anything else, and the study is important, but this is important too. And it sounds like you agree with
1: that. No, I very much. I very much do. I think it's interesting that in early church uh, they had what was called the love feast, and it was often in the context of the love feast that they shared communion. I think they're they're meant to be tied together. Uh, the sharing of food together is an expression of community of of, of, of unity with one another that we then reinforce by saying, and we're in union and community together because we've all been saved by the same Lord. We've come together in the same Lord. And I think shared meals still have that same power. It was one of the most easy ways, uh, most direct ways that you can begin to form relationships with people by putting priority on, on and it, can, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It could be as simple as, hey, let's, uh, let's grab a cup of coffee right after service together yes. and spend yes. that time together. Um, all that the Lord uses.
0: Let me ask you one more question before we go here. Was there an experience you've had as a pastor or maybe as a child or a young believer or, you know, throughout your life that that solidified what you're talking about here? Because people don't write books simply because you get, come up with an idea and you just run with it. Something happens on the inside That forces you to say, "I need to dig into this more." So, was there a a situation where the love of God just became clear to you in in somebody else's life and the way that they moved into your life?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, there's so many different stories I can tell. Um, And when I first came to to Arizona, uh, there was a family that uh, sort of took me in while I was looking for a place to stay. Uh, You know, I was working at a church and. I stayed with them for a month or two and the ways in which the way in which they received me and allowed me to, I, I remember experiencing, it wasn't so much, Hey, we're just doing you a favor and you can stay here, but you know, you need to find a place to stay as quickly as possible. It was, no, you're part of our home now. This is your home as much as it's our home. Uh, the ways in which they opened up everything to me uh, freely uh, was, it still, it still strikes me. Um, you know, I, I think of ways in which people have, uh, allowed me to enter into their lives, and formed close relationships with them, Uh, getting to know their kids, uh, other family members, inviting me to participate in them, treating me just like anyone else. Uh, And these are not people who I share the same ethnicity with or cultural background or anything else. Really, the the main tie is our common faith in Jesus, but that was everything. Uh, it, It led to a kind of connection that is unlike anything else you could experience apart from being connected to the love of Christ. All yeah. those things have stuck with me, and I think they, they really do show us. Uh, they've shown me and uh, invite others to step into those things as well. You show those love, that kind of love to other people. It's one of the most powerful ways we show that there is a Lord, and specifically that He's loved us in Jesus.
0: Isn't that just simply valuing another person for the unique individual they are, you know, and it's, and it's showing that kind of value to them that God has shown to you.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it's seeing them the way the Lord sees them, that the word God has created all of us. And so the fact that you were born shows that you have value and meaning. That God essentially handcrafted you in the, in your mother's womb and you were born. And, and so the word you, sees you that way. Lord gives us the same eyes, same spiritual eyes to see people that way. and notice things that He notices. I think that invites us then to love in the same way that He loves us. Yes.
0: Well, you said it well here in the book, as well as on the con- in the conversation today, Pastor Vermon Pierre. I uh, I pray real blessing on your church and in the in the middle of Phoenix and and all that you're doing there. <laughs> and uh, look forward to another conversation with you. Come back and, and see us again. Okay
1: that will be great. I appreciate
0: the time. Dearly beloved, how God's love for his church deepens our love for each other. You can find that featured resource today at chrisfabrylive.org. And would you then, as a response to what you have just heard here today, would you think about somebody in your church that you know that you think, I, I just have a problem with You know, maybe moving toward that person, maybe if you knew some of the backstory, maybe if you had a cup of coffee with them or you had a meal with them and you heard a little bit more of the background where they are coming from, some of those walls might come down and you might see the love of God overflowing your own heart onto somebody else. I hope uh, hope that'll happen to you, and thanks a lot for listening here today. Again, the website, org. Click through to today's information. You'll see Dearly Beloved right there. Our program's a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.